Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. You can turn to Luke. That's where Jen was reading from Luke chapter 1. This is week 2 in our series of beautiful narratives. So we're going through the book of Luke and the way it's set up, it just makes it so that we are going to get to go through the Christmas story around Christmas time. And so I'm really excited about that. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to go from verses 26 to 38. Now, if you had to answer the question, who am I? What would you put down? So if someone was like, give me a list that would describe who you are. If you had to say, who am I, what would you write down? Some of us would write down student. That's what I do. You know, I'm in university. That's sort of like my job right now. Some of us would write down grandparent. Got some young ones. You know, your, your kids have had kids, and so you're experiencing that life. Some of us would write down funny. I'm funny. This is, that's how people know me, that I'm the, the person with humor. Some of us will write down social worker. Some of us might write down introvert. I don't, I don't like being around people that much. They kind of wear me down. Some would write boss, maybe recruiter. But I wonder how many of us would write down servant of God. If you stopped and, and, and had to write, how many of us would write servant of God? Now, If you're a Christian, that has to be on the list. No matter what you put down, servant of God has to be on the list. And here's why. The entire life of a Christian is lived in service to God. The entire life, your whole life is lived in service to God. And we forget this sometimes. And when we forget it, what happens is we drift into just simply living for ourselves. We think that's all life is about, that I'm supposed to just serve me. But 1 Peter says this. It says, live as people who are free. Christians are free. And you're like, how so? Well, free from the power of sin. We have this freedom that is in our life. It says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are called to this kind of living. We are here for God. Now, here's the thing about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She understood this very clearly. She understood that she was a servant of God. This defined her life. And so Gabriel comes to her, and, and, and we, we're going to see in this story, we're going to learn the things that Christians have experienced, what the servants of God are experiencing, and what they believe about God, and what the servants of God must do every day. And knowing these things, these three things that we're going to see, knowing these things help us to live and serve God 
every single day. Not some days, but every day. Verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So last week we saw that Gabriel was sent to Elizabeth and Zechariah, and now he's sent to Mary. What you have here is a very busy guy. Right? God's like, you got to go here. Now you got to go here. He's sent to tell her this message. And sometimes we're like, man, Christmas feels busy. It's such a busy time. If somebody else sends me another invite to something, I'm just going to be like, maybe cut them off. And so we understand the busyness of Christmas, but so does Gabriel. You see it? He, the, my boy here is running all kinds of errands. He is busy. And now the story moves from the, the capital city to this small town, with, and he's got some very important news for Mary. Now notice in verse 27, it says that she is a virgin twice. Two times, Luke guided by the Holy Spirit, makes it very clear to us that she is a virgin. Now, here's why this is important. Phil Riken says this. It says, only the virgin birth preserves the humanity and deity of Jesus. His conception by the Spirit points to his deity. His birth from a woman points to his humanity. One person, two natures. A divine nature and a human nature. And because he was conceived by a unique creative act of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, this is important, was not corrupted by the guilt of Adam. Fallen humanity could not produce its own savior. He had to come from outside by way of divine initiative and intervention. And so God here in sending his son is the one who's taking the initiative to save us, sending us the rescuer we needed more than anything else. You ever wonder, like, why is Christmas so special? It's not because of that gift that you have coming to you, and there's nothing wrong with getting gifts. But Christmas is special because of what it reminds us of what God has done in order to save us. This rescuer had to come from outside of ourselves. We couldn't do it on our own. And Mary's life notice, is heading in a very specific direction. It says that she is betrothed. She is, she is committed to Joseph. They're, they're going in a certain direction. Life is about to start for them. And then he shows up. The angel shows up out of nowhere. Verse 28, and he says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what type of greeting this might be. It says that she was troubled. There's a Patois version of the Bible, and in the, that version it says, she frightened. <laughs> she was greatly troubled. She's like, what's coming next? She doesn't know what he is about to say. And when he, he says, he says, Oh, favored one. And we learn two things about Mary. We learn first that the Lord is with her. He says, you are not alone. God is with you. This is a promise of God's presence with her for all times, that he is going to walk with her. A couple summers 
I worked with my, uh, my granddad. Uh, he was a contractor, and so I, I would work with him in the summertime. And you know when you like sort of grow up and you check back? I checked back and like what I got for working with him for two months, it's, I think my granddad was paying me like 15 cents an hour. <laughs> but again, Jamaican culture, you don't talk back. You just do what you're told. And we're working, and he, he's like, Jimmy John, because that's, so in Jamaican culture, again, you have two names. So nobody in Jamaica calls me Marvin. Everybody in Jamaica calls me Jimmy. And so my granddad's like, Jimmy John, come here. So I go, in, I go into the room that he's in, and he's like, you are going to have to tile this whole area. I've never tiled before. And then he just walked out. So I'm like, what? what? Where? And I went and checked. He's in the other room taking a nap. <laughs> and he just left me all by myself. Now I tell you that story so you know that God never does that. <laughs> I love my granddad, but he, he just sold me out in that moment. But God never does that to his children. See, God may call you to do something in your life, but he's never going to leave you to do it by yourself. It's just not going to happen. He's always going to be with us in the doing. And as we depend on the Holy Spirit, as we go into that thing that God has called us to do, he will empower us and strengthen us, especially when we feel weak. So he says that God is with her, and then he tells her that she is favored. He says that she is favored. He says, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Two times he says this to her. And that word favored means to be treated with undeserved kindness. Kindness that is undeserved. And this is our first point. God's servants experience his ongoing kindness. The kindness that Mary experience is by, is by giving the privilege of bringing our Savior into the world. And here's the thing about Mary. She knows how much she needs the Savior. She knows just as much as we do how much she needs this Savior. Look over at verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Mary knows she is the object of grace. She understands that she is not the source of grace. And this is why there, it doesn't make sense to pray to Mary. Because she cannot forgive sins. She doesn't have grace that she can dispense to us. Only God can do that. And the kindness that he showed to her is the same kindness that he shows to us in our salvation. But the kindness doesn't stop there. He, he rescues us in an act of sheer grace and kindness, but then he brings us into a community of faith and that, that when it's functioning in the right ways, we bear one another's burdens. So not only does God save us, he puts us into a family where we are to love one another and look after each other. That's one of my, I say this all the time, one of my biggest goals for this church is that our relationships would be deep. 
that we would actually function like a family, that nobody would be in our church suffering all by themselves, but that we would get to know one another and work at that where life goes beyond just these moments where we're sitting listening to me, that we would realize that God in his grace has brought us into a community of faith where we look after each other and bear each other's burdens and use the gifts that he has equipped us with to serve one another. And so like Zechariah and Elizabeth, she is going to have a son. Verse 31. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son, a son of the Most High. And the Lord your God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his king, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So there's these specific things she's told about this baby. First, she's told to name him Jesus. And the name Jesus means God saves. And what the name of Jesus points to is the work that he's done in our life. And the name of Jesus points to the work that he can do in the life of anyone as we, as his servants, spread the good news about Jesus Christ everywhere. That he can save Then it says, he will be given the throne of his father, David, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So last week we learned that with the the prediction that John would be born, that Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. Well, this week we learn again that this is another Old Testament prophecy that is being fulfilled. 2 Samuel says this, 2 Samuel 7 says, Go tell my servant David, when your days are fulfilled and, all, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body, and he will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and, he will establish, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." And so if you, if, you, if you know your Old Testament really well, you'll know that all, none of David's kids fulfilled this. People thought maybe it would be Solomon, but then you see him kind of make a mess of his life. And what you see here is ultimately this is a, this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. And, and with this birth announcement, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Luke and Matthew tell us that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was in the line of David, from the house of David. And so, so what this is saying is that Jesus here, his adoptive father, he's actually in the line of David. And with his, with his birth, God is fulfilling his promise that he made years and years ago. Now, Domino's Pizza has this thing where they say, your pizza... We'll be there in 30 minutes or it's free. Now, the reason why they have to say 30 minutes or it's free is because they know they're making a promise that sometimes they can't fulfill. So they, they qualify it. We're gonna, it's going to get there. But if it doesn't get there, if it gets there at 31 minutes, it's free for you. See, God never has to make promises like that. When God says, I am going to do something, he always does it exactly when he says he will 
do it. And what Luke is doing again is showing us we can trust the things that God says. We can trust the promises of God. And, and God expects us, like I said last week, to take us, to take him at his word. If he says he's going to do something, he will do it. He always fulfills his promise. And what you have here is this king that Israel has been waiting for is coming. The king that we need is and has come. And it says that his rule will last forever. Now, when we think about some of the political leaders in the world, if their rule lasts forever, that would be terrible. There's probably some people rolling in your minds right now. You're like, if that person was in charge forever, that would be a problem for me and the world. Jesus is the king that we want. Jesus is the king that we want to rule forever because Jesus is not a tyrant. Remember, again, when the gospel starts, Luke says that this is all happening in the time of Herod, who was one of the worst kings. He was a tyrant. And so when we hear that the king is coming, this king who is going to rule and last forever, that should fill us with all kinds of joy because Jesus is not a tyrant. Jesus is a king who serves his subjects. You know that? Jesus is a king who doesn't push his subjects around. Jesus is a king who dies in their place. He's a king who serves. If you ever, you're thinking like, I want somebody to rule over me. The person you should want to rule over you is Jesus Christ because he is the kind of king who's only going to look after you for all of your life. Mary hears all of this and then she asks an honest question. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a good question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, with this question, she's not asking, can God do this? She's asking, how will he do it? It's a different kind of question that Zachariah asked early, last week. We looked at that. His question was full of doubt. Her question is actually full of confidence in what God can do. She's saying, how will he do it? And he says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now that statement there, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, has, been, has confused people. It seems, like a, it seems like a strange sort of thing to say. Now here's a clear explanation of this. It says, when God says the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary... He does not mean God, mean God impregnated Mary. Coming upon brings to mind Genesis 1, verse 2, where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the, over the, the face of the deep in creation. It was Jesus, uh, it's what Jesus quoted as saying in Hebrews 10, 5. As he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God the Father, a body was prepared for God the Son who would be brought forth by Mary. And so what you have here is that God is working all of this. 
And that's why Jesus is called the Son of the Most High. He is truly God, truly man, the perfect Savior that we need. And we need him to be truly God so that he could supply the righteousness that we lacked. And we needed him to be truly man so that he could be that perfect sacrifice that we owed to God for our sin. And Mary here doesn't ask for a sign, but she gets one anyway. Verse 36 says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. We experience, as his servant says, ongoing kindness. But God's servants also believe he can do the impossible. The servants of God believe that God the Father can do the impossible. Elizabeth is this sign. What you have here is a, is a barren woman in her old age who has now conceived and she has a baby on the way. And what the angel is saying here is that if God could make a barren woman have a baby, then it's very easy for him to make a virgin have a baby. See, John's birth would be incredible. But the birth of Jesus Christ would be miraculous. John's birth is incredible, but Jesus' birth is a miraculous birth. Now, we live in an age, we talked about this last week, where unbelief is the norm. And so people are skeptical. They hear stuff like this. Angels showing up, barren women having baby, virgins being promised that they're going to be pregnant. And they look at all that and they're like, all those Christians are crazy. They hear of things that are miraculous and they're just like, this is all of it's ridiculous. None of these, none of these things are possible. It's all nonsense. They just kind of snicker at us as we gather together and sit under the word of God. They're like, this is all crazy. It's all impossible. And that's because the way they think about miracles. It's because of how they think of the idea of miracles. But listen to Mitch Stokes on this. It says, God, according to traditional Christianity, is constantly and directly involved in creation. He is at this very moment keeping the cosmos in existence and actively governing all its aspects. Even the person who hates God is being kept in existence by God. M managing everything, even managing crying babies. Don't worry about the babies, it's good. Nothing would continue to exist if God did not continually sustain it. You right now are being sustained by God. I am being sustained by God. The things I'm saying, God is the one bringing it all out of me. Nor would anything in the universe do anything without his causing it, either directly or indirectly. This has an important implications for, what an, is for an extremely popular argument against miracles. Hume, a philosopher, famously defined miracles as a violation of a law of nature. 
But laws of nature aren't objects out there invoyably causing things to happen. Rather, they are descriptions of the way nature ordinarily behaves, statements of regularities. According to Christian theism, laws are descriptions of the way God ordinarily does things. Miracles are aren't events in which God finally shows up and violates some law. Miracles are simply instances where God does things differently. God is fully in charge. And so when a miracle happens, it's simply God showing up and saying, this is the way that it usually goes. But we are going to do it this way because all of the power resides with me. I am in full control of everything at all times. And so nothing is impossible for God. About eight years ago, I went on a skiing trip. That was a bad idea. We show up, we take take all these youth on a skiing trip, and we show up to Blue Mountain. And as we get out of the car, they're loading a guy onto the stretcher. So already I'm like, what are we doing here? And so we, we're kind of skiing all day, and I'm falling most of the day. And the kids are just having a good time with it. And then one of the students are like, let's try this mountain, or whatever you, what do you call them, ski hills? What is it, love? Runs. She, she snowboards. So we get up, we're on this ski lift, and we get to this thing. And on the way up, I see this where it says a double black diamond. Now, if anybody skis, you understand that this is a big hill. And so we're, we're on the ski lift, and I turn to his, Josh, and I'm like, what's a double black diamond? And he's like, if you're asking that, you shouldn't be on the ski lift. <laughs> and so we, going in, I get off the ski lift, and immediately I'm like, this is impossible. And he takes off. So I'm up on the, this hill by my, a whole bunch of people are like, what, what? Looking at me, because I'm just like, I don't, I don't, ah. Uh. So I kind of shimmy out, shimmy out, shimmy out. Do you know what I do? It's a, for two hours, I sat down and just shimmy down the hill. <laughs> It was smart. <laughs> Two, and I get down there like, what took you so long? I'm like, what do you mean what took me so long? <laughs> Impossible. Now I can tell you, God has never had a scenario like that. There's nothing that he looks at and he says, that is impossible. There is nothing. That's why the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. Now, here's where this comes home for us. What is the situation in your life when you look at it? It seems impossible. Just just think about that for a moment. What is the thing that if you are honest, when you look at it, you're like, no one can solve this. No one can handle this situation. All of us have stuff that when we stop and we look, like, God can't do, he can't do it. But that's a lie. 
There's nothing going on in your life that God cannot fix or that God does not have the power to sustain and carry you through. Absolutely nothing. And the way you can know that you have stopped believing that God can do that thing that seems impossible is that you have stopped praying to him about it. You're like, how can I know that I do not believe that God can do the impossible? You are not talking to God about it at all. You have simply looked at it and you're like, we are, we are moving on from that because he cannot handle it. And the Bible says God can handle it, that there is nothing impossible with God. And then when we believe that, we actually stop and ask God to solve it or give us the strength and the power to take us through it because we believe what the word of God says. But there's this constant danger for us not to trust the word, not to trust our heavenly father, not to trust that he can sort that thing out that I am going through that seems too hard for me. And the truth is it is too hard for you, but it's not too hard for God. And he says, bring it to him. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary believes this. She believes it. And you're like, how do you know? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She believes. She believes that God can do the impossible. And that's why she trusts him. And that's our final point. God's servants trust his good plan. When you truly believe that God can do the impossible, that God is fully in charge of everything, you trust the plan of God over your life. Mary here makes a powerful statement. But before she makes it, she says, behold. Now, anytime you see that word behold, what is going on there is like, it's like when we say, can I have your attention? Look up here, pay attention. I've, I've got something to tell you. So Mary's like, okay, Gabriel, you came, you kind of came out of nowhere and surprised me, you have my attention. Now I want yours. And she says, behold, I am the servant of God. She says, I am here for God. Yes, my life was going in a certain direction, but God is saying we're going this way now. And she's like, I'm in. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. This is how true servants respond to God. Mary responds with faith. She is laying down her plan for God's plan. Again, think about her life. I started with that. Her life is going in a very specific direction. She is about to be married. Well, actually, in that culture, she's already married. They're just getting ready to move in together. And so she could have been dreaming of what things were going to look like. What's our first, what are we going to name our first baby? All that kind of stuff. Where are we going to live? Thinking about all of those things. And then he shows up and he says, we are not doing that. God says, we are doing this. And she says, I am in. And she doesn't even know what is coming. She has no idea if she's going to be publicly shamed for this. She has no idea if Joseph is going to divorce her. No clue. 
There's so many things that she doesn't know. She doesn't know that they're going to have to take Jesus and run to Egypt and hide in order to protect him from being killed. Doesn't know any of that. She doesn't know there's going to be nowhere for them to have the baby. Doesn't know that. She does not know that many people will hate and reject her son. Doesn't know that. None of those details are given to her. She doesn't even know the pain she will feel watching him die on the cross for our sins. She knows none of those details. And she says, I am the servant of the Lord. She's my, my life is surrendered to his will. She doesn't know the details, but here's what she does know. She knows she can trust God. She, she doesn't know the details of how difficult this will be, but she knows she can trust God, and so she moves forward by faith. See, we are God's servants. We are here for him, and so we always have to be ready that that yes, we may have a plan for our life. But God may say, you thought it was going to be this way, but it's going to be this way. And we need to surrender. We surrender to the plan of God. He can change our plans anytime he wants. And here's the thing, he doesn't always give us all the details. I, and don't you wish sometimes you had all the details? I, I wish I knew what my boys were going to turn out to be. I wish I knew the details of how this church is going to go. I wish I, I knew the details of what your week is, is going to look like. So I can, I can sort of be there to sort of encourage when it's needed and then be there to like cheer you on when that is needed. We, we wish we knew all of the details. When God, I, I've shared this before, when God sort of stepped into my life and, and took my plan out of my life, it, I was devastated. When it wasn't, wasn't going to be football, money, and partying, when, that got, when God was like, you think that is the best thing for you? It is not, Mark. This is the best thing for you? I was devastated. Because I, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this is going to look. And it was, it, was a, it was a difficult time in my life. It's hard for us not to know all the details when God mixes it up. But here's the thing. If we had all the details, we would not depend on God. If he showed us the full plan, there wouldn't be this humble trust and dependence. It would just drift into us trusting in ourselves and moving the way we want. But God doesn't want that because that is not the best thing for us. It's best for us to be in a spot where we have to get up every day, humbly depend and say, God, I need you because I don't know what's coming. And even though I don't know what's coming, here's what I know. You are going out this door with me. And so I can trust. I can sit. I can wait. I can, I can go with you because, again, remember, he says, the Lord Mary is with you, when he changes the plan, he's never going to leave us alone in it. He's going to carry us through it. And she surrenders to his will. She here is a model believer. Mary is a model believer. She takes God at his word and she surrenders his will to hers. 
to his. And Luke, what he's doing is he's painting a beautiful picture of Mary for us. See, there's two dangers that you want to avoid with Mary. You want to avoid the danger of worshiping her. There's this danger we don't want to drift into, which is the worship of her. But then there's the other danger, which is the discounting of her. To like exalt her too far, but then to shove her to the side. See, Mary is one of the strongest women in the Bible. And God wants us to know that, that she is strong. And it reminds us that we need strong women in our lives. And some men, if we're honest, we're afraid of a strong woman. But we shouldn't be afraid. We need strong women in our life. I grew up in a house full of women, and all of them were stronger than me in lots of ways that I can like walk you through. And all of them have been a grace and a benefit to my life. We need strong women in our lives. We need strong women in our church. And God is always making that clear that the gospel that we're trying to spread, this life that we're trying to live together, walking with Jesus Christ, that women are a vital part of all of that. And Luke wants us to follow her humble example. And the only way to respond like Mary is to believe that God's plan is better than your plan for yourself. Is to believe that his plan is better than your plan. See, we can't truly be God's servants and not respond this way. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. She, she pledges to serve God with her whole life. And she did this, not knowing exactly what would come. And the son that she had, the son that she had did the same thing, pledge to serve God with his whole life, knowing exactly what would come. Mark, Mark 10, verse 45 says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes into this world as the ultimate, perfect, true servant of God. And he gives his life, he says, as a ransom for men. He's like, this is what I have come to do. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I was born to die. And he willingly did that. So that now, those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who are walking with him, are now children of God, but also servants of God. And God's servants are always ready, always ready to surrender their life to his plan and his goodwill and his purposes for us. Because they know that as we surrender to God, that all through it, through all of what he's going to work in our life, we're going to experience his ongoing kindness. And we know that as we surrender, that he can do the impossible, that nothing is too hard for him. And we surrender to the plan of God because we believe and know his plan is better for us than our plan for ourselves because he can see it all. And he knows best. And so we trust God 
with our entire life. I just want you to bow your head for a moment. And I just want you to take a moment right now and think, what is the area of my life that when I'm honest, I don't trust God? Yes, I, I, I think I'm experiencing the kindness of God. Yes, there's a de- to a degree I believe he can do the impossible. But in this area right here, I just, I just don't trust him. I just want you in your heart right now, just take that to the Lord. Just tell him. Because the thing is, he knows. He knows you think you know better. He knows I think I know better over so many situations. And just in this moment, just surrender yourself to God and his will and plan. And just say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be like Mary and just realize I'm here to serve you. That that my whole life is lived in service to you. And just believe that he will work. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.